Welcome to The Course Reports, your real deal inside look into professional golf venues around the world. This week, Colonial Country Club, Fort Worth, Texas, the Charles Schwab Challenge with Scott Eber, Certified Golf Course Superintendent, and the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship at Classic Oak Hill Country Club with Jeff Corcoran, Golf Course Superintendent. It's going to be a great episode. Don't want to miss this one. Lots of great stuff with two of the top guys in the business. I'm Curtis Tyrell. It's time to get on the green. It's time for the Course Reports. Well, the golf season is certainly heating up, even though spring is slow to start in a lot of places. But we've got some really classic golf tournaments going on this week at some classic venues. And we've got the guys behind it all here talking with us today on the Course Reports. We're going to start in Fort Worth, Texas from Colonial Country Club. Certified Golf Course Superintendent Scott Evers. Scott, welcome to the Course Reports. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. You've had a tough spring down there, no? It has not been my favorite spring, yes. Wet, wet, wet. And then um, to top it off, last week we got almost cold. So the Bermuda has been a struggle to try to get it where you know normally it would be. But I guess if there's a trade-off, the, the bent grass greens are uh, really good. So it's certainly been more bent grass weather than Bermuda weather so far. Right, right. Well, I tell you what, it seems like it's been raining everywhere, and I know it's been raining up in New York, and that's where our second guest is right now, the manager of golf courses and grounds at the famous Oak Hill Country Club, Jeff Corcoran. Jeff, how are you today? Curtis, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here today. Uh, you know what? I appreciate both of you guys taking the uh, time out of your busy schedules. Your tournaments are right around the corner, so you got lots to do. And, you know, the, the whole goal of this podcast is to try to take the information about what we do, the, the grasses we grow, the, the projects we're into, and get it out to the golfer. You know, I felt like there was a real gap in coverage, media coverage of our side of things. And I felt like people are always wanting to know more about it. And so that's what we're up to. And you know, I don't know if you guys come across that in your just everyday life, Scott. I mean, do you run into a lot of people that are interested in what it is you do there and and uh, what it is that's behind your profession? Sure. I, you know, I would guess it is probably like most places that, you know, there's some that are, I mean, intensely interested and ask a lot of questions and good questions and follow-up questions and really want to know Kind of the ins and the outs of what you do and then obviously there's a whole spectrum there to you know kind of general disinterest but <laughs> i think the common thread if there is one would be you know if you play golf and and you know at a member owned club and and you're playing it all the time you know i think you certainly you know care about it one way or the other you know there's there's hardly ever a level of disinterest yeah, definitely. I mean, Jeff, how about you? I mean, you're at a at a world famous place with a long history, just like Colonial. I mean, wh what's it like uh, when people find out what you do for a living? Do you, do you get a lot of people asking you questions about what it is you? I get a lot of questions. I get a, you know, people. It, it's amazing to me though, and you know, Curtis. I mean, kudos to you for doing a podcast like this. But um, there is a lot of information out there that people want to know about what we do for a living, and also. To, as well, there's a lot of disinformation, you know, um, I mean, I'm sure that all of you guys have had conversations with members or just friends, whatever, that uh, start talking about what we do. And you're like, man, you are so far off base. It's not funny. <laughs> right, so right. getting the correct information out there is just as important. And I think that uh, to your point that you earlier made is that, you know, 
lot of times I always feel like, you know, a lot of our information that we put out is, you know, whether it's through GCSA, things of that nature, isn't really focused on the people that we work for every day. You know, I think the USGA does a good job of that, but I think that sometimes we miss the mark on who we communicate to and, and how we go about communicating to people. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, this has been a fun little project and we've been getting a, a great response each week. It's grown and we, uh, we got a video out there now that is, um, getting a lot of momentum. So we're just going to keep giving it a try. And I appreciate you guys taking the time, but, uh, Jeff, tell us about yourself. You know, where are you from? How long you've been at Oak Hill and how'd you get into the business? I grew up playing golf and at a, uh, just an 18-hole municipal golf course in central New York. There were probably more cows in the town than there were people, actually. And, you know, my mom and dad were good about getting me there to the golf course. And I started working on a golf course at 13 just as an ends to a means to actually get to, to play more golf. I got like a free membership to play this public golf course. And my brother was a superintendent for a while, too. So he kind of pushed me along and really just been really working on a golf course for as long as I can remember. It's, I wouldn't say it's the only job I ever had, but for the most part, it was the only place I ever really remember working for since I was a little kid. It's funny that, you know, I never, uh, I never thought about being at Oak Hill Country Club. But, uh, you know, I worked for Paul Latchaw here uh, during his tenure at Oak Hill, and I left, and I was a golf course superintendent in Boston for a while. And when Paul left in 2003 to go uh, work at Muirfield Village, uh, I had the opportunity to come back at Oak Hill, and I've been here ever since. Wow. So you got a good long run uh, going right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I actually did my internship at Oak Hill in 1994. So this place is definitely a part of me. It's a really, really good down-to-earth membership, and uh, I've been very fortunate to work here. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. Hey, Scott, so are you a native Texan? I am. Tell us about your road to Colonial. Well, yeah, unlike Jeff's, it was pretty linear there. I, my, mine was uh, odd, I guess, uh, is a nice way of putting it. I was going to be a um, political science professor. <laughs> so I did graduate work, went to University of North Texas, and then got a fellowship to Ohio State. So I went up to Columbus and was doing my uh, doctoral work there, finished the coursework, and then you're supposed to write a dissertation. Unfortunately, yeah. you have to do that to actually get your PhD. So <laughs> I'm back here, back in the Metroplex and, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to, to be about and what, and I'm kind of adjunct teaching in various, you know, colleges and, and universities in the area and just getting more and more disenchanted with that as a profession, which is always really smart after you've done so much school. But that was, that was, <laughs> that was me. So, right. um, I, I went to a party with a, a local golf course superintendent and like, you know, Jeff mentioned earlier, didn't have a clue what a golf course superintendent did, what their career path was like. Got to talking about it with him a little bit, got intrigued. always liked to work outside. Again, unlike Jeff, I didn't work on golf courses as a kid. I worked outside, but not on, on golf courses. So just called A&M, uh, you know, kind of the, the turf, I think uh, school down here, and I, I figured out with all of the school I had, I could do it in two years. I could get a, a, a turf degree in two years, so I crammed in two years. And uh, again, interesting, like, like like Jeff, my first job out of uh, out of A and M was at Colonial in 1993. Okay. So yeah, a little full circle, I guess, on both of our. And I, I worked in the local golf courses. I worked at Bentry in Dallas a little bit, and then I worked at Preston Trail 
for four years. And um, that's really where Alan Hodek, uh, the superintendent there, really, I think, is where I learned most of what I think I know, probably forgot most of what Alan tried to teach me. But that was really where I think I, I decided, yeah, I really want to do this as a profession. And I, you can see, uh, I'm sure like Jessica, you know, when you can see turf managed at a really, really high level. Right. Until you see that, you don't know really, you know, that, that it's possible to do it that way. So that intrigued me. And, and I um, was fortunate enough to get a really good job. My first job was at Northwood Club, a great club in, in North Dallas. I was there seven and a half years. And then um, 14 years ago, or I guess now I got this job at Colonial. So, and almost all of the time, it's a great job. <laughs> right. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Well, that you know, those are two really different stories, but two very interesting ones. That 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 is pretty interesting. You went all the way through your PhD studies and then had to add another two years on to go to turf school. Yep, I'm not the brightest person in the world, but that's what I did. <laughs> well, you figured it out, you know. Ultimately, uh, and uh, Colonial is is the benefactor of that. I mean, you guys are operating at two of the the most classic clubs in golf history. They're, they they've played a big part with hosting events for a real long time. Uh, Jeff at Oak Hill. I mean, you guys in 1926 was when the current East and West courses were built with Donald Ross. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yep. And you've had winners from Ben Hogan, Lee Trevino, Jack Nicholas, Curtis Strange won his back-to-back, uh, his second Open there. You've had the 95 Ryder Cup, uh, PGA Championships, uh, and then now you're hosting the Senior PGA Championship. Yes, we had the Senior PGA Championship in 2019, and then uh, 2023, the PGA Championship comes back to Rochester and Oak Hill. And Scott, I mean, speaking of Ben Hogan, Colonial is the long one of if is it the longest running tour event on tour? I think at the same venue, I think it is now. Yeah, I, I believe yeah. that's correct. Yep. So, I mean, talk about a, a classic place. You know, what's it like, Scott, you know, to be at uh, a place with so much history? You know, is there a vibe that is different or that you can feel or explain to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. No, I, I think, again, a lot of similarities with Jeff's golf course. I mean, obviously the shadow of Hogan, I mean, is just really, you know, cast over the entire property. I mean, we have a, a room with a lot of his trophies and it's a really cool, you know, historical thing. There's a statue that kind of looks out over 18. And, you know, if you go by the wall of champions, he's on there more than anybody. And so, you know, that's, that's really cool. I mean, he was a native son to Fort Worth. I mean, he and, and Byron Nelson actually grew up, you know, playing golf at the same golf course in Glen Gardens, about 10 miles from here, caddying and playing. And that in itself has always struck me as just kind of an extraordinary thing to have, right. you know, two, two iconic people that at the top of their game grow up in the same, you know, same town. At the time, Fort Worth wasn't that big, big a town and certainly wasn't known for golf. It's a neat to have that kind of history, and it's and it's neat to know that you know you're you're involved with something that has such a legacy for sure. Yeah, Jeff, how about you? I mean, um, lots of major championships, lots of history there. You know, what's it like being out there day to day? It's surreal sometimes, and I think that sometimes I take it for granted. You know, when I'm out there, we're working, we're grinding, we're going after it, and you just you take a minute to kind of check the aesthetic value of what you're doing every day. And then you're like, there are some big names in the history of golf. And in this place has played such a 
a big part in the history of golf. And that's, uh, there's times where it kind of smacks you in the face, you know, I mean, you know, even when you start taking a look at, you know, Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York, and its place in Rochester, the original location of Oak Hill was actually located down on the Genesee River here. And George Eastman, who founded, you know, Kodak, Mm-hmm. did a land swap with the club um, back in the early 20s. And then they hired Donald Ross to build the East and the West courses here. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's uh, the history of Oak Hill is definitely something I've always paid very, very close attention to. And when they made that land swap, the the land was pretty barren, no trees. And they planted all of the, the towering oaks that you deal with today. <laughs> yeah, to uh, a little bit to my dismay, you know, we're trying to find... <laughs> Actually, the superintendent previous to to Paul Latchaw coming here actually started the tree removal process. And we've been doing tree removal, it feels like, for the last 20 years at Oak Hill. Right. And we finally kind of got over the mark where we're trying to strike a good balance between the, I guess you could call them iconic oak trees. But, it, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, goes down to, to education, like we were talking about earlier, that, you know, a very well-intentioned member here back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, planted copious amounts of trees on the property and very well intentioned but he wasn't a golfer he was a hobbyist botanist and he was a philanthropist and you know little did he know that you know 80 years later that some of these trees that he planted or virtually all the trees that he planted were going to end up affecting shot values sunlight you know i mean all the things that we deal with every day as a superintendent yeah yeah, you know, that could be a big problem. So we're trying to reel that back a little bit. That's an issue at a lot of places, not just mm-hmm. Oak Hill. You know, I know we dealt we dealt with that ourselves for, uh, yeah. and, and we removed a lot of trees. And you know what? In the end, the course was better for it all along. And you really wouldn't call Medina, you know, a treeless property by any means now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that everybody thinks about, you know, um, which is awesome, by the way, what they did at Oakmont, you know, obviously it gets a lot of press, especially when the open rolls around there. But, it, you know, it's finding that balance here. You know, obviously it's Oak Hill. It's in our name. Right. Uh, we're always going to have some iconic oak trees out there. But, you know, it's funny, just over the last two to three years, we've really, really turned the corner. It was it was pretty severely overplanted for a long time. Well, there's no doubt about the negative impact that it can have on growing turf. But, you know, what are you growing out there specifically, greens, teas, and fairways? We are poa bet greens, teas, and fairways across the board. Okay. It is a hodgepodge of different bent grasses that have been out there for a while. And it is, yeah, it's pretty consistent. East and west courses, it's poa bet on both sides. In the summertime, you know, and and and. I think I know the answer, but I mean, do you have summers where the POA struggles? You know, not as much as you would think. You know, obviously we we have to manage to the POA more than we do for the bent grass in the middle of summertime. And this isn't uh, by any means tooting our own horn, but we do a pretty good job of maintaining POA in Rochester, New York. It's not the the worst environment to grow POA annual. I think that um, there are some inherent issues with POA that we deal with, but it actually provides a decent playing surface. You know, there's a there's a distinct dichotomy between the east and the west courses from a standpoint that the the west course is it's a perennial biotype of Poa annua a la like Wingfoot, Oakmont, any of those classic northeast courses. It's been around a long time. It's evolved. It does really well. It's a very low mm-hmm. seed head producer. So it's an awesome putting surface. The east course in 1993, prior to the 95 Ryder Cup, they 
fumigated the East Course grains. And this isn't casting shade on any decisions that were made back then, but they didn't remove any of the trees before they did that fumigation. And virtually immediately there was Poa annua that came back into the East Course grains. And by the time Paul Latchaw got here, you know, some of the greens were in that 40, 50% range already. Right. That was in 1999. So only like five or six years. It's a annual biotype. It's a prolific seed head producer. You have to manage it at a pretty high level to provide a, a, a decent surface. And so there, I mean, between the two golf courses, it's managing like two totally different types of Poe annual. Do you think that uh, with the tree removal and, you know, let's just call it, you know, the right type of construction methods going forward. If you were able to establish bent, you could be a dominant bent stand there in Rochester. Yeah. And that's our plan. Actually. I do agree with that statement. I think that, um, bank grass varieties have came, you know, full circle since they did that project in 1993, uh, with the tree removal, with the, with the good environments. And there's a lot of people that are on our latitude that have done the same type of thing and have managed bank grass successfully for, uh, for a very long period of time now. Well, talking about managing bent grass, Scott, you're, you're managing bent grass in Fort Worth, Texas, um, probably one of the hardest places in the world to do that. Tell us what that's like, you know, year to year, and especially when it comes to tournament time. Well, yeah, normally normally they're pretty good for the golf tournament, although we do have a, a tendency to sometimes during tournament week to start getting our first real heat of the season. And so, you know, oftentimes we have plants that aren't really conditioned much and they're still used to kind of what we've been getting all year, cloudy and cooler weather. And and so we can get, and I hope it doesn't happen this year, it did happen last year for sure. We can get, you know, a lot of heat and then, you know, just because you have a golf tournament, you can't get out there and, and get your guys with hoses on them like you normally would do in, in play and you can have a lot of kind of stress right there in that, in that tournament week. So that's no fun. And, and normally mm-hmm. once we get out of the tournament, we get our fans up, which is another huge thing here to, I don't know how people did it before fans. I really don't know how they did it. So we get through the tournament and, you know, we usually do a little verification and then we get our fans up and normally they, they get better. And then, we get into kind of the middle of the summer and you start putting a hundred degrees and, and, and 80 degree nights to back to back to back to back to back. And then on those bad summers, you know, you're just kind of trying to get out the other end and hoping Labor Day gets here, you know, and, and it can be, it can be a real challenge. But um, I guess the one thing I would say, we, we don't have to worry about POA because it, it would die every, every summer. So we have a pure bent strand and these newer bent grasses, you know, choke out and keep out, poa so we really at least i get to manage a mono stand it, it's uh that's one thing i will say about it yeah that's the bright side right <laughs> yeah it's the bright side yeah well you know i think what's interesting uh i read about colonial was that marvin leonard who i guess was the founder of the club right, right? he started colonial because he wanted to bring bentgrass greens to that part of the country yeah yeah he did and he was just stubborn enough again he's one of these self-made Man, you know, had a real iconic store in downtown. In fact, it was kind of described often as one of the first Walmarts. You know, a huge store. You could get anything you, you ever wanted there. He and his brother were really, you know, well-known. And, and he got the bug late in life. And he would play. He knew enough people. He'd play in the Northeast and play on bent grass. 
and then come down here and play on, I'm, I'm sure, you know, common Bermuda and just went, this is, this is not acceptable. And so why, we need to grow Banton. Everyone said, Marvin, you can't do that. It's too hot. And he said, well, all right. And so he basically purchased the property that Colonial sits on to build his own golf course to grow bent grass greens. And again, he was growing, you know, kind of German bents at the time. And I'm sure they died every summer and, and they would reseed, but, but he did it. And yeah, it's quite a legacy. I, I wonder sometimes if it's, you know, the wisest legacy, but, but without question, we had bent grass in 1936 and nobody around here did for sure for, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys obviously um, set the trend or, or, or were the leaders down there in, in bringing it to that part of the country. And, you know, you mentioned fans. People, golfers will tend to complain about having to look at fans for whatever reason or maybe the noise. But, you know, they can change the canopy temperature and really help the plant stay alive. Like you said, even get better pretty significantly. I mean, you, you know, do you have a number on the difference that you can manage the temperature with a fan? Yeah, well, sure. And it's dramatic. If you, if you take, uh, you know, the canopy temperature, you know, just a little with a, like a little infrared thermometer, if you don't have a fan on it at all, it'll heat up to 116, 117, 118 here. And if you have a fan on and you have constant movement across it, you'll pretty much get to, you know, whatever the ambient temperature is. It'll be 99 or 100, which is still really hot, but you can you can keep a plant alive at that temperature at 115, 16, 17. I, you know, you just can't. So they're, yeah. they're crucial here. I, I Again, like I said, I, I don't know how people did it without them. I really don't. 15 degrees is significant. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you know, Jeff, wouldn't you say, I mean, 15 degrees right now, uh, that would probably, you'd probably do anything you could to get 15 degrees of heat on you right now, couldn't you? Yeah, I would like 15 degrees of heat out there for <laughs> sure. That's got to be a that's got to be a difference maker. Yeah, for sure. So, Scott, um, with the tournament uh, right on top of you here, are there any particular tournament conditioning things that you do that are different than what you do for your regular members? You know, I know a lot of times at clubs like Colonial and Oak Hill, you guys are managing uh, at championship level conditioning all the time so you, you have your tournaments it's not a lot different but is there anything that's uh that you're doing different as you lead up to the event well you know not really I, you're right i mean some of it's the kind of standards and some of it's just the seasonality of you know what we're doing so we're we're early enough in the season that we're one of the first if not the first kind of all bermuda golf courses or at least all bermuda except for the greens and so we're just always fighting, 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 fighting to get the Bermuda where we want it to be by the golf tournament. And then trying to keep the bent grass, like I mentioned before, from starting to tail off. And so it's probably as good as you could do as far as our, you know, third week in May in, in Fort Worth is probably, I don't know that you'd pick a better one for trying to manage mm -hmm. those two and trying to get them to kind of sort of peak at the same time. That's really the challenge. I, I'm never hardly ever happy with both there's always one this year it's the bermuda i'm not happy with and i hope i'm happy with the bent grass by the time we get to the tournament but i would say for member play you know it's a really good winter golf course you know even when the bermuda's dormant uh, the, the green speeds are easy to keep you know where you'd like them to be and it's it's okay to play on dormant bermuda grass so late fall through early spring is probably the easiest to keep it really in kind of high hanging and, and, and then all we do for the tournament really is grow a little bit more rough but this year mm -hmm. i won't have a whole lot of rough honestly 
yeah, it's not a whole lot different than member conditioning day to day. Yeah, cool. I, you know, I, a lot of times when we're talking to guys, we, we find out that, you know, for the tour event, they actually do things like slow the greens down <laughs> than from what the members want because you guys are at, at such a high level all the time. Jeff, how's everything going for you in terms of the run-up to your event? You know, where are you in terms of your your targets and goals and, and what do you got on the plate between now and the event? I think we're in a really good slot as far as where we want to be as far as the grass is concerned. I think it's more along the lines of temperature and rainfall that's not cooperating as much for us. So just as a byproduct of that rainfall, we're doing a lot more like hand rotary work around compounds, things of that nature. Having a May tournament here is right in the peak of like Poanua Seedhead. So obviously early in the season was Seedhead prevention. And now as we get closer to the tournament, it's doing a you know, we got very good control on the Poanio seed head, but um, we're still going to have to do probably a little bit more brushing than we're accustomed to just to kind of make sure that we're keeping some really good control of that seed head that does happen to pop up between now and when the event kicks off. But outside of that, you know, we're in good shape. I think the PGA of America's expectations are our, our green speed will probably be a little bit slower than what we keep it day to day to our membership. But the rough's going to be a little bit thicker, a little denser. I mean, between the rainfall that we that we received, it is uh, that's going to be a little tricky. Yeah, I can imagine so. I mean, it it seems like it hadn't stopped rain on you, unfortunately. But uh, real quick, back to the seed head thing. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting thing. You know, the timing of the applications that are used to control seed head are never a hundred percent. You know, you can never control it a hundred percent, but you try to nail that window to get the greatest control you can. There's various products out there. Some are one app, some are multiple apps. Mm -hmm. You know, do you use anything in particular to help you pick that exact window to apply it, like a growing degree day interval or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I look at it like five different things, but growing degree and day interval is probably the biggest. I think that uh, it's funny though, you know, you hit your, the right time to apply. It doesn't matter whether you're using Embark, Primo Proxy, but just with the varying microclimates within the 350 acres, it's Oak Hill Country Club, you'll have one or two greens that where you didn't really get good control on, and you'll have 16 greens where you got great control on. It's just funny, you know, just those small little microclimate differentiations that, that you see the difference between good control and maybe not as great control. Right. It's an interesting thing that it's very difficult to hit a home run on. And I think there's been only like one or two seasons in my career that I've ever felt like, wow, right. you nailed it. You know, there's the other factors too that play into that, you know, especially during the course of a regular season is that, you know, in the springtime here, we're airifying, we're grading, you know, just doing all this stuff to the greens. And at the same time, it's right around the time you want to put down your seed head control. So it's painfully slow watching airification holes. He try to heal back in the springtime. You know, I tell you, you make a great point about microclimates and, and that on your property alone, you could have various results based on timing or product applications of some sort. And that applies to more than just chemical control of seed head. It applies to a lot of different things. And that's, I think, the unique balance in art to being a top tier greenskeeper is being able to get it all to come together like you do. Yeah, it, it can be challenging at times. You know, I think that, and it's an advantage to us as well, I guess, to in some degrees that, you know, you kind of know those little pockets and microclimates where you should go look for certain diseases first or hyperodes weevil or whatever other pests you might have out there. It uh, They kind of pop up in the same locations first a lot. And 
it is kind of an advantage of being on the property for 15 years. I guess, you know, a lot of those little subtle nuances of what's happening out there. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Scott, what about on your property? Do you have some unique spots of the golf course that are harder or easier to maintain than others? Probably not the extent of, you know, maybe cool season or cool season properties that have, you know, elevation or, well, I guess they're just more area. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty small property. I would say in general, the overall microclimate, if you want to call it that, of the golf course is challenging. I mean, we sit, you know, really in a floodplain. So we have the Trinity River kind of, we're in one floodplain in the Trinity River and then what's called the hilltop, which gets much higher fairly quickly is TCU and, and, and a neighborhood there. And then on the other side is kind of more in, industrial on the other side of the Trinity, but it, it does the same thing. It goes up. So, you know, we sit in a basin, you know, we sit in a floodplain. So while we are the beneficiary, some very good soils, we, ha- we have some very good clay soils. It can be um, pretty stifling in the summer and, and, and it can be when the wind dies down anyway, we can be just dead in the floodplain yeah so no air movement just yeah so somebody once told me that that it gets so hot down there that make you hate humanity (laughs) (laughs) well you you won't you won't get that out of me i'm a naturally optimistic person ask anybody so yeah (laughs) yeah You can deal with it. That's good. Right. That's That's why you've been there so long. So uh, at Colonia, you've got the Charles Schwab Challenge. And at Oak Hill, you're hosting the KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship. So, uh, Scott, you're working with the PGA Tour. And, Jeff, you're working with the PGA of America. And I think a lot of people don't really realize that there are two different entities and two different approaches to tournament setup. So, Scott, you've got a tour agronomist and you're working with the PGA Tour agronomy team? Right. Yep. Yep. Chuck Green is my agronomist. He uh, had Harry Schumann for a long time, um, and I got Chuck last year for the first time, and he's back. In fact, he just showed up today. So, yeah, they went to a number of years ago, you get your agronomist for advance week and tournament week. And I think it's a great move because, you know, they used to just kind of come in for advance week and then leave. So if something started happening during the tournament, you know, you – could do it but you know you're kind of figuring it out on your own and you didn't always get the feedback you wanted and so um i think that's a really good idea because sometimes you're trying to manage your way out of jams or issues during the tournament for sure right right so the goal or the purpose of them being there chuck being there is for you guys to just to kind of align the target goals for the the way the golf course is going to perform that week right so you guys are communicating through the year and then you just bring it all together right. for the participants yeah, hopefully, yeah. The the standards are are kind of set generally, you know, for the year really. Or there, there's a, a spring visit, and and you'll have a discussion then about, you know, kind of where you are, where you think you're going to be. And most of the times, we don't have a first clue. I didn't see any of the bad Bermuda season coming in March, but yeah, I think you know they're really good to work with. There's a uh, sense I think from people to kind of get to one of the points you were talking about earlier about you know, misinformation or people having the wrong idea. A lot of people will ask me, you know, do they make you do this or do they make you do that? Or what are they always telling you to do? And generally speaking, nothing could be further from the truth. They're, they're a really good partner and they know that they have to turn well. And again, I don't know if this is any different, you know, from the USGA, but, but unlike, you know, Jeff has got something that, that a huge event that comes every so often, you know, they know that we have to turn this over to the membership and that they're going to be back next year 
and that, you know, they have to be, you know, partners in this. And so that's how they act. They're very good to work with. And, and generally speaking, you know, I've just really never had a bad experience with the PGA agronomy staff or the tour staff that runs the tournament. No, well, they got they got one hell of a team of uh, of agronomists on there, and and uh, it's certainly a privilege to work with those guys for sure. And Jeff, so how's it work for you? How's it work with the PGA of America in terms of agronomy and prepping for a tournament? Yeah, it's kind of a one man show, and I know Curtis. I'm, I think I believe you've worked with Kerry Hag before, and yeah, it is. I mean, it's the Kerry show, really, for the most part. You know, he doesn't really dictate a whole lot. He kind of takes a lot of feedback from myself and the rest of our team here at Oak Hill. Be honest with you, Kerry's pretty easy to work with. He knows what he wants when he comes in. He's very familiar with this piece of property. And it's kind of Kerry, and and that's kind of it. You know, we work with the ops guys as far as build out and things of that nature. But Kerry's been a pretty consistent theme. And sometimes I'm, I scratch my head. I'm just like, you know, God forbid and knock on wood, anything ever happens to Kerry because it seems like right. that's, that is their, that side of the event. That gentleman does from marking out hospitality tents to the rope and stake to conditioning, course setup. He's got a lot going on. He's a busy man. Yeah. And if he tells you to meet you at the first tee at 5.30 a.m., be there because you're going to walk the whole course with him too, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's one of the, I think that's actually one of the parts I like. I mean, yep. he definitely takes uh, advice very well and he listens to what you have to say. But, you know, those walks around the golf courses, you know, you, you really kind of get a sense of what Kerry's looking for. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, I just want to thank both of you guys for your time. I want to congratulate you both on credible careers and just, um, you know, doing a great thing for the game of golf. Your staffs, I know you're, you're real proud of your teams and, and you guys are great leaders to the industry. And everybody that listens to the course reports is going to be watching and certainly have a new perspective after hearing you today. So thank you guys very much for joining us. Curtis, thank you. you. Bet. Curtis, thanks for doing it. And Jeff, good luck. Yeah, good luck to you as well, Scott. All right. Man, that was great. A big thank you to Scott and Jeff for another great conversation. We really hope you're enjoying what we're bringing to you each week. Thanks for tuning in. Don't miss next week. We're going to talk to Chad Mark at Muirfield Village Golf Club, home of the Memorial. Going to be a great episode as well. And we appreciate everybody checking out our video. We got more coming at you. Uh, Won't be long. You'll see another one there on the Course Reports channel on YouTube. Our new website is up, so check that out. Don't forget to subscribe so that we can send you some updates with all the great stuff we got coming at you this golf season. Thanks again for tuning in to the Course Reports.